Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. We are glad that you're with us today. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out to Kidmo. And uh, all right, there they go. There they head out. We've got another something special here for you guys in just a little bit. But I want to talk to you before we do that. Um, I want to let you know, I can't remember if I did this last week or not, but last weekend we have a new She's not a new mother, but she has a new baby. But Christy and Kevin had their little, uh, little boy, Chance, um, was born. And so they're at home with him. And uh, let's pray for them, definitely, as they're taking on another child in their lives. And we found that one child was uh, something that completely changed our world. We found that two children adjusted our world. Until you get to three children and beyond... Uh, you're not really trying yet because then you just, whatever, left you, whatever you had left within yourself, that deep part of your soul that you, you cherished, it dies, you know, because there's nothing. No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. But um, anyways, I do want to be praying for them, and I am glad that you're here with us today on this Mother's Day. And we do want to recognize that Mother's Day is a time of great joy. Um, we all have mothers. Many of us will spend time with them, talk to them on the phone. Some of us would love to do that today. We're not able to. We miss our mothers. And uh, for others, you've gone through difficult times uh, with your own children. And Mother's Day is maybe a hard time for you as you're struggling through maybe some hopes and dreams you had that maybe you haven't realized quite yet. Um, others did not have a relationship with their mothers. And, um, and, and so this is kind of a hard time for you. So as we go through this day, I want us to be aware of all the different experiences we have. Um, but what I want to talk to you about today is, is not, kind of, not really your typical Mother's Day sermon, but we're continuing what we've been doing over the last few weeks. We've been talking about living for the love. Now, when we talk about living for the love, what we're talking about is embracing what God said would be said of us if we're following Him, and that is that we would be known for our love. God goes so far as to describe himself as the essence of love and goes even farther to say that in the end, when everything else is gone, there's only one thing that's going to remain, and that is love. It is the driving, motivating factor if you follow Christ. And yet, isn't it hard to love at times? I find it sometimes hard to love. Maybe, uh, maybe sometimes isn't the right word. Maybe it's some people, Right? Some people are just harder to love than others. Sometimes it's real easy to love somebody. Now, I love people who love me. You probably love people who love you. And I really love people that regularly tell me they love me. I find it's very easy to love those people. There are another class of people of relationships in my life. I find it very difficult to love. I'm not going to name any names. I hope you won't name any names because some of you may be in the room. No, I'm kidding. You might be, but I'm not going to say your name if you are. And it may be me. I may be that hard-to-love person at times. In our home and in our families, you may love the person that you're doing life with. But at times, let's be honest, it's hard to love even our significant other. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to take that concept that we've been talking about is what does it look like to live life loving others? We went so far as to say you should love your enemies. And if you can love your enemies, you can literally love anyone. But that's what Jesus calls us to. Is we're supposed to love our enemies. And love, we talked about, it costs us something. There's a sacrifice that goes into choosing to love others. 
And in our world today, it is not something that you are encouraged to do. Now, we talk about love all the time, but we have a tendency in our world to talk about love and loving ourselves. I was checking out in the grocery store yesterday, and one of the big magazines that you know is always right there, you know, now they've got some covered. And I don't know how they choose which are covered and which are not covered, because sometimes the ones that are not covered are worse than the ones that are. But one in big, bold letters, this is the summer of you. Now, some of you are like, I've got that magazine right now. <laughs> I read that this morning while I was, you know, on my normal time and anyways. And so, but that's a constant message we see. You need to be focused on you. You need to focus on the kind of love that you deserve, that you need, that you require, and others ought to love you. And if they don't love you, then you know what? Just don't spend time with them. And yet, that's not what Jesus did, and that is not what he told us to do. So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about what happens when when love gets messy. This messy kind of love. Now, if you do have little children, you know, the the idea of messy love has a whole different, you know, feel to it, right? You already had, you had some messy love this morning, right? You you may have some later today as well that you're going to have to worry about and work on. But today, our topic is going to be parenting. Uh, It's a good day to talk about that, but I want to talk about it in a little different way than we've done before. We had breakfast this morning. I was asking our children, I said, you know, I think I'd like to share some parenting fails this morning, and uh, could you guys share, you know, what were some, I I really can't think of any parenting fails myself um, that I've done, but you know, you may, you may have some, and and, uh, Emma, especially with great delight, was willing to share many, as many fails as she could think of. and, uh, and so, anyways, I think Deidre's serving this morning, so I'm just going to share her parenting fails and not my own, um, since she's not here to defend herself. But, yeah, don't, don't video. No videos, no texts. And you people that seek her out and tell her what I say in here, this is what stays in the auditorium, what's said in the auditorium stays in the auditorium, right? I mean, you need to go live it outside these walls, but don't tell my wife what I said about her. You know, that just makes it a, it makes it a hard day for me. But, um, but we, we did, we had some good laughs this morning as we were just talking about some of the things that we've done as Parenting Fails. And as I watched this video, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm the coach where I'm up here telling you what you're supposed to do to do it right. But yet most of the time I'm the ones in the stands like, what happens if they give you lip? Well, you give them lip right back. You know, that's me. I, that's my first inclination. You know, I'm, my, that's the first thing I want to do is, you know, oh, 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 you know, we're on now. And, uh, and it's not always my first thought is, how do I really love my children in the way that I should? Now, some of you in the room are thinking, well, gosh, why in the world did we come today? We knew it was Mother's Day. I mean, why should we come? I don't have any kids or my kids are grown. And I'm just going to tell you that if you pay attention, you're going to find that a lot of what I'm going to share with you is not just about parenting. It's just about living life. But we were talking about our parenting fails, and when, when Jake came along, you know, I really feel bad for the guy. I'm really glad he's still alive because there were some moments that we weren't sure we were going to be able to maintain that for him because we didn't have a clue as to what we were doing. And one of our biggest parenting fails that we did, which was really the only parent that was there was me, so I, I used the word we to make me feel better, but <laughs> well, we had gone on vacation. I've shared this story before because it really was a bad one, and we were staying in a condo, and I, I was a young pastor, and I, I, I don't know what your vacations are like, but when, when a pastor goes on vacation, the, the first half doesn't count because we sleep, and then we just kind of, it just takes us a while to recover, and then we enjoy the last part, and then all of a sudden we're packing up the car and coming home. And 
I remember this particular one. It was towards the front of the week. We were staying in a condo. We were in a high-rise, and I just had walked out to the edge. We were, Jake and I were going somewhere, and we were going down the elevator. And uh, so he was standing there at the elevator. He was probably, you know, four at the time. And uh, I looked over, and if you walk about 15 feet over, you could go to the railing. And it was a beautiful view of the beach. And I remember I was just one of those moments where I'm kind of getting rejuvenated and regenerated. And, and I just walked over there. And I was just kind of soaking it in and, and just thinking about God and how wonderful he was. And, you know, just how thankful I was for my family. And then I heard ding. Well, that was not the ding with the door opening. It was a ding with the door closing, which Jake had subsequently walked straight into the elevator by himself. Someone else had called it and the elevator was gone. Four years old. And so I'm frantic, Jake, 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 you know, I can't find him. I, I know where he's at. He's in the elevator, but I don't know if it's going up or down. It doesn't have the floor. You know, some elevators will tell you which floor it's going to. And you're like, I don't know where he's going. And so I just hit the stairs. I'm going up. I'm going down. I'm looking over the rails. I'm just, oh, I just, in my mind, my child has just been stolen. I mean, he's gone. I mean, that's, that's what has happened. I'll never see him again. It's my fault, you know. And uh, so I'm just, I'm racing up and down the stairs trying to figure out which one he's on. Surely I can be faster than the elevator. And then ding, it got worse because my mother-in-law and father-in-law were in the elevator with him. And so I had to stand there as a new young dad, as my in-laws. I'm sure my father-in-law was thinking, I knew I should have said no when he asked me to marry my daughter as they brought him out of the elevator with the rest of our extended family. It was a wonderful, glorious moment for them, not so much for me. There have been many others. I asked Deidre this morning, because you know, now we have so many memories, they kind of get lumped together. Do some of you, ref- you have a hard time remembering some of the things you said you would never forget? I said, which one of our kids rolled off the bed? I'd like to tell that story. She said, all three of them. So, you know, that's where we've been as parents. And we had kind of a high, as an antique bed, and it was really high, and you know, we set them on the bed, and they start rolling before they start crawling and all that, and they just boom. So uh, many emergency room visits. She liked to remind me of the, the one that Emma, we had gone to Partyville. I don't know if you all know what Partyville was. It was a big blow-up place. It was a terrible place, but kids love it. And we would take it, and they would jump, and they had this little stage that you could go up and take your picture. It was this big whole kind of Hollywood picture moment. She walked up there, and she was kind of playing around. I don't know. She was probably, you know, three or four years old, and she tripped and fell and hit the corner, and just blood came gushing. Split her chin. I was like, oh, teacher's going to kill me. You know, that's my first thought. <laughs> my first thought should have been, oh, no, Emma, are you okay? But I'm like, Deidre's going to kill me. Which, to be fair, I think that quite often. But um, so we had to rush her, and I had to call her and tell her, you know, what we had done. Um, it's not as bad as, as uh, though when she, I believe it was Jake, opened the car door and split his head wide open. So I like to remind her of that as well, just to make sure that we keep everything even. We like to share, we want to share everything in our home, and uh, including the blame. So um, anyways, we have all kinds of parenting fails, and I'll just tell you, we are entering a time right now that is ripe for more of them. And so as your kids get older, you recognize, you know, you make some mistakes when they're young, but for the most part, as long as, you know, you don't let them play in the street, they're going to be okay. 
But then when they get older, you feel like everything's going to get, you know, all the, the, the possible consequences are worse. And if I mess something up, I'm, I'm going to mess them up for life. I heard a pastor once say, you know, we just set aside some money every month. It's their counseling fund for when they grow up and they can go get, <laughs> let somebody else fix them. And I think that's what we ought to do too. So I don't stand up here with words of wisdom to tell, or, or, or words of experience to say, listen, we've done it all right. Now let me tell you how you can be a great parent like us, because we mess up all the time. But I hope what I can do with you is do a couple of things today. And number one is remove a little bit of stress and refocus what it really means to parent. And number two, to understand that the dichotomy of the family is very much not just about you, your spouse, and your children. It's very much a picture of God's work within us and the church. So as you're going through this and you're looking through, or we're talking through these things, I, I, I want you to know that that's kind of where we're headed. And I know that right now there are a ton of temptations that many of us face. And as, as parents, especially you guys that are coming up with really little ones, We've got, a, we've got a little one, but we've kind of been there. But if you've not been there yet, you're entering into a whole new world of parenting stress. And I don't just mean the kind of stress that every parent experiences. I mean the world is putting lots of stress on you to be the perfect parent. Now today, if you're going to be a good parent, it's, it's not just enough to make sure that your kids grow up and leave the house and are somehow able to take care of themselves, now you have to do everything just right. You've got to take them to every activity. They've got to wear the right clothes. You've got to make sure that you're volunteering all the right places at school. You've got to make sure they're in every sport that they want to play. You've got to be a team mom or a team dad. You've got to coach. And everything that they're going to do, you've got to make sure you do it with them. There's all kinds of pressure out there that you've got to say the right things and act the right way. And, you know, you can't be too overprotective, but you can't be too underprotective either. You don't want to be a helicopter parent, but you don't want to let your kid just grow up without a parent. So you're, 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 you've got all this immense pressure. You've got to say all the right things with others, and you've got to make sure that you don't pack the wrong foods in your, your kid's lunch because somebody may have an allergy with it. And if you have a child with allergies, you're like, gosh, I'm just trying to keep my kid from not dying from somebody else's food. There's all kinds of pressures and stress that go into being a parent today that somehow you've got to be perfect. And then as parents, we feel the, in, the intense pressure, which is not just what parents feel, but adults in general just feel this great pressure that we need to act like we have it together, Right? we got to act like we're cool and we got stuff happening and we know what we're doing. And, you know, we, Deidre and I, we'll try to throw out the cool jargon and we think that it's kind of the new thing, but that's like, it was like the generation after us, but before our kids. And they look at us like, you are not cool. You're just not cool. Just don't try. But we try, right? Because we want to be cool. We want to be the ones that are in. We want the other kids to go, yeah, I wish my parents were like yours. Said none of my kids' friends ever. We've got to make sure they have the right house, right? They socialize the right way. they got the right friends. Kids don't bully them, and kids don't do the wrong things to them. I feel like we've got to preserve every memory and take them on every trip that we can possibly take them on. We just feel this immense pressure. We feel like we've got to be our kids' best friends. We, gotta, we feel like we've got to make them happy, and we, we hear about how many kids are struggling with anxiety and depression. And so we feel this pressure to somehow protect them from that and make them happy. 
And all of these things, I, there was a time, I don't know, I don't remember how old the kids were, but there was a time I just said, this is not, this is not working. We can't do all these things. Now, I'll be honest, I have that conversation with Deidre about every third week, and I'm not joking. That's not a joke. We can't, we can't do everything. And so you feel all these immense pressures to be perfect. And if yours is not in parenting, yours is in some area of your life, right? Some area of your life, you're feeling the need to be perfect. Maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're the child, and you feel like your parents expect so much of you that you've got to be perfect all the time. It's a common thing that we struggle with. I believe, for parents, and this is what, how I approach parenting personally, which is not always best, but for the most part, I think it's true, and I believe it is biblical. Other times, you've got to do more than just three, but I think there, you have three callings in your life as a parent. Now, in your mind, you have about 5,700. But I believe you have three callings in your life as a parent. Calling number one. Keep your kid alive, all right? It's calling number one. Now, let's get the, keep the bar where we can reach it, amen? Let's keep the bar where we can reach it. Keep your kid alive. Now, keeping your kid alive is more than just don't kill your kid, although there are certain times that, you know, you probably thought about that in a terrible way. But you've got to feed them. You've got to house them. You've got to make sure they don't go play out in the streets. You've got to make sure they stay away from the wrong kinds of you know, kids that are going to get them to do stuff that you wouldn't have. You know, you, there, are little, there are lots that go into keeping your kid alive, but your calling really, as a parent, number one, is keep your kid alive. You don't have to keep your kid alive in the perfect life. Keep your kid alive. You know, that's what parents have done for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Keep them alive. And so there's a lot of things that go into that. And there are struggles if you are a parent who has lost a child. There are times that you maybe can't even be in control of that. But instead of trying to create a perfect life for your kids, what if we just lower the bar a little bit? Second calling that you have, and I think is crucial, and we try to do this in many different ways, is teach them how to love other people or really to get along with other people. That's a part of life, right? We constantly are teaching our kids, how do you get along? Uh-oh, Deidre's in here. Parenting fails, I have to stop. Don't worry, I didn't share any about you. I all were about me. Um, all right. We'll scrub that recording, too. And, uh, but seriously, we want to teach our kids to get along with others. This is part of what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. We have to keep them, teach them how to get along with others. And really proud of our kids that... You know, we've really tried to instill in them, befriend the kids that don't have a lot of friends. doesn't mean that you've got to spend all your time with them or they've got to be your best friends, but befriend people that don't have friends with other people. That's what Jesus would do. It's how he goes to other people that others aren't flocking to and says, hey, you are important to me. And when someone doesn't have a lot of friends, that in and of itself is a huge ministry to them. But, but even beyond that, not setting that bar too high, Goal number two is teach them how to love, get along with others. If you can teach them to do that when they're young, they will carry that with them when they're older. You know, it's, it's been said on all the debates about division among our culture of race and gender and all kinds of different orientations that, 
you know, we, it's been said that you just almost have to let a generation die before you can move beyond some of those terrible things. And the reality is, while God is capable of redemption in any possible way, when we learn those things young, when we, learn, when we don't learn how to love others well when we're young, we will struggle when we're older. Because loving others requires something of ourselves that we are willing to give away. Now, it doesn't cost us anything to love people that love us, right? We've already been there. We don't need to talk about that, rehash that again. But for those that don't love you well, it costs you something to love them well. And so, calling number two, teach them how to love or get along with other people. Number three is where I want us to spend our time today. And three is not in creating the perfect environment for the perfect child so they have the perfect childhood so they're the perfect adult because that is impossible. Calling number three is show them how to radically know, love, and follow Jesus. Show them how to radically love and know Jesus, how to follow him with their lives. Now, if you follow this calling, you will find many of the other callings that you have trying to provide for your children the perfect childhood begin to fade away as less important because our idea of a perfect childhood generally revolves around the entertainment of our children. And the more that we entertain our children, the less calling number two happens because they focus less on others and they focus more on themselves. But calling number three is not easy because it's not a lesson taught like how do you tie your shoes? How do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You know, how do you get yourself out of a locked bathroom when you lock yourself in? It's, this is a lot harder, right? But this is the calling that not only do we have as parents, this is the calling that we have as people. This is what God always wanted for us. This is what God says, if you're going to make your life about something, make it about this. Don't make it about all these other things because there are a million other things you can make your life about. And, and what I often find with parents that struggle and that feel like they're just about to drown in all of the things that they've got to do is they feel the need and the pull to do everything. But God says, oh, you know what, you don't have to worry about everything. You just need to worry about this and everything else will be taken care of. Matthew 7, 7 through 14 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, gifts, good things to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. There is one gift that surpasses all other gifts that you and I can give to children. And at this point, I want to back up even just from the parents. Because as we look around the room... Our children are a byproduct, not just of our parents, although that is a huge part, but also of the community in which they live and they thrive or don't thrive. 
And as we look at what what it's saying here in Matthew, there is, as God knows how to give us good gifts, what parent doesn't want to give good gifts to their children? But there is no greater gift that you can give than this. To know Christ, to love Him, and to follow Him with everything in your life. Now, there are lots of ways that I embarrass my children. I don't give them good gifts all the time. Sometimes I do it intentionally. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I like them being embarrassed. Sometimes I I embarrass myself, and I'm really embarrassed. I wish I wasn't that way. Anytime we go somewhere and there's dancing, great embarrassment ensues. Either I will dance, to which great sheer horror comes over all in the room, or I'll just sit in my chair. I'm not getting out there. I'm not subjecting these people to my dance moves. And then that becomes awkward and embarrassing as well, right? So those of you who struggle with anxiety in different ways, listen, I do too. (laughs) Dancing is right up there. Don't put me in that situation. But of all the things that we can do, all the ways that we may embarrass our kids, all of the ways that we may fail, the things that we said when we were kids, you know what, when I'm a parent, I will never do that. How many times do we eat those words? Those things really are not the most important thing. And some of you in the room are killing yourself to try to make sure that your child is perfect and has all the perfect everything. And the truth is, is that there is a gift that far surpasses every other gift that you can give. Now, the truth is, the reason I want to talk about this on Mother's Day is because moms internalize this much more than dads do. Dads are like, you know what, they'll be fine, they're still breathing. That's not the way moms process. Moms often take on great guilt because they are not the perfect mom. And I'm not real sure where you get the idea of the perfect mom. I think Proverbs 31 is one of those. I used to preach Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day, and I was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. Because I'm like heaping guilt and coals on everybody because nobody can live up to it. You're like the perfect entrepreneur bringing in tons of money, making sure you do everything around the house. Your kids are happy and perfect and healthy. Your husband's happy and perfect and healthy. And like, who is that? That's nobody. So that's a worn-out woman. It's a worn-out woman. So many of you are taking on all of this need, but I want you to know that no matter what you're doing, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're single, whether you're an adult, no matter where you are within your life, the most important thing in life is knowing God before you die. Now I say let's lower the bar. That's a pretty high bar, right? But yet, if we are trying to do that and everything else, it's overwhelming. And not only that, we have zero control over whether or not they do this. Even the people that you're praying with and you're praying for and you're spending time with and you're going to lunch with them and you're just trying to help them to see a better way, to know that God loves them, that they can walk with Christ, that He's real and alive right now, you have no control whether they will ever internalize that. In fact, the only one who has any influence in that other than that person is the Holy Spirit. It's the only other person that can truly influence that. We just come alongside and peek with the Holy Spirit their interest in understanding the message so that what the Holy Spirit's telling them they can receive more fully. But what if you took everything and we just cleared our list, all our goals, 
What if we cleared our goals out completely and just said, you know what? The most important thing is knowing God before you die. Now, I don't mean knowing about God. I don't mean, you know, you read a few verses when you were a kid in school and all that stuff. I mean, you know God like you know Him. He knows you. If that is the most important thing and the thing that we are focused on, that changes the way we live. That changes the way we set goals and we set priorities. That changes the way we parent. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that. I love that because somewhere in our minds we have muddied the water of living a fulfilled life with a whole bunch of stuff that mostly just leads to stress. We've muddied the waters. And we struggle with guilt and shame when we're trying to do all the things that everyone says we're supposed to be doing. And then we feel like we fail at all of them. The most important thing in life is knowing God before you die. Therefore, the greatest thing you can give your kids is to show them how to live fully in God's love. Because here's the thing. We're probably, most of us, not going to be here once our kids grow up. We're probably not going to be here. We're going, uh, I'm, I'm driving to Charlotte this week uh, to attend my aunt's funeral. And uh, boy, she was such a huge part of my childhood. I just thought the world didn't work right if Aunt Kay wasn't a part of my life. We would go several times a year. It was a long trip. It was about, it's about a five-and-a-half, six-hour trip from Knoxville. And we would take that trip. And, oh, when I was little, I just thought it was the longest trip a person could ever take. I felt like it was like going to the moon. It was so long. And we would go, and I would work myself up to, oh, six hours in the car. But we would get there, and life just made sense at Aunt Kay's house. She always had two things at her house whenever we pulled up. She had a pound cake she had just baked. It would come out of the oven and set on the oven and would fill the house with the smell of pound cake. And it was so good. And she made a pecan pie, which was so, so good. And she made it because she was trying to recreate her mother's pecan pie and her pound cake. And dad was the judge. And as soon as she found the recipe, she was going to stop. So she would make one every time we would come to visit because they just love each other more than anything in the world other than their relationship with Christ and their spouses and probably a few other people too. But they really loved each other. Dad would never say it's that good yet because he knew when he did, she would stop making them. (laughs) And so we would pull in and in the first 10 minutes, we were all around the table. We each had a piece of pie and a piece of cake and man, it was so sweet so good and she would look at him and smile and he would look at her and smile and he would say it's so good and it's so close but it's not quite there and the truth is it was probably 10 times better but dad was never going to admit to that we're going i'm driving up this week we're going to go to her funeral i'm be with my cousins and all and we're going to share some of those memories and and now they are living life without either of their parents. Each of us, mostly, most of us, are going to live a good part of our lives 
without our parents. What we teach them will guide them for the rest of their lives. So what gift can we give them to care for them when we're gone? Now, I tell Emma regularly, Emma, you're going to miss me when I'm gone, and she goes, walks away. (laughs) It's a very caring moment between son and daughter, let me tell you. Or son and daughter, dad and daughter. The greatest gift you could give is showing them how to fully walk in God's love. Because if you're walking with Jesus, there is not a single situation that you will encounter that you will encounter alone. There's not a single decision you'll have to make on your own. And you will be able to not just navigate the challenges of this world, you will be able to circumvent them because you are living somewhat in another world with Him. It's amazing what God does when we follow Him. The greatest thing you can give your gift is to show them how to live fully in God's love. And part of that means that we are mimicking for them, not just reading your Bible or going to church, but how does, what does it look like daily to live a life following Jesus? What does it look like to demonstrate holiness? God is a holy God. He's called us to be holy, just like Him. In our current, current climate of evangelicalism, we say you can believe in God and receive His grace, but you don't have to walk in holiness, and yet that's not what God said. So we have to teach holiness. We have to learn for ourselves holiness and intimacy and obedience to God's call when He calls us. For some of us, we would do anything to keep our kids from being in danger, and yet God may be calling your child to go somewhere in the world to put their life in danger for His purposes. And that's something you would never want for them unless you believe that God's call is the greatest call they can have on their life. And you recognize that no matter what happens, they're in His hands. It means that we teach our kids to be focused on the eternal, not just the here and now. And let's be honest, that's, that's hard for, for even the most mature adult to be focused on what is eternal in the big picture. To teach them to be intimately connected into the body of Christ. That the church is not just something we do, it's a thing of who we are. It's a people of, that are interconnected and love with each other. It's about sacrificially giving of yourself because Christ is sacrificially giving giving Himself for us. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He... Who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When we look at the concept of holiness, what we learn is that holiness is more than just doing the right things and not getting in trouble. Because that's kind of our, that's an elementary understanding of holiness. I'm just supposed to do everything right and not be in trouble. That is not holiness. Holiness is a transformation of your heart, of your mind, and of your activity. And what it leads to is it leads to joy and gladness and peace, Scripture tells us. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I tried to get out of all kinds of trouble. 
you all probably just took your lumps. You all had more integrity than I did as a kid. I tried to get out of it. And my parents, would they tell you all the ways I would try to get out of getting in trouble? And I mean, I'd lie, I'd cheat, I'd steal, I'd do anything. I just, I can outsmart my parents, which they regularly demonstrated I could not. But I tried as much as I could. And, but I remember when I truly had an experience with Christ and I said, I'm different now. He's transforming. He's changing me. I, I remember I had done something. I don't remember what I had done, but I had done something. I remember vividly I was in, in the bathroom thinking, I, I need to go fess up. I, I don't need to sit on this. But I was like, but if I don't say anything, they won't know. But yet Jesus had done something in me. I was different. And I didn't want to miss that. And I remember I walked in and I just kind of spilled my guts. And my parents, it was the first time ever I had done that. I was, you know, it was last week probably, but not really. It was, I was about, I was about 15 years old, 15 years old. And the reason I had come to Christ at that time was, there are lots of reasons. But I had chosen that I was at a point in high school that I wanted to be liked. Now, I know none of you know what that feels like, right? You all were all the popular ones, but not me. Not me. And so I learned that to fit in, you've got to do certain things to fit in. You've got to kind of do as the Romans do if you want to walk with the Romans, right? So I did. I walked with the Romans. Lots of places I shouldn't have walked. And even though my friend group grew, something within me got really sick and nauseous. Something wasn't right. Even though I felt like, you know, I know that mom and dad would never want me doing this stuff, I, it seems to be working. But at the same time, I felt like something in me was dying. I was not at peace with myself. The thing about holiness is, is what it does is it aligns us with God, and God does not just set aside some point and say, you know what, I'm going to make this thing right and i'm going to make this thing no i'm going to make that thing right too and that one i'm going to make that one wrong so that he just arbitrarily chooses rules by which we're supposed to follow that inherently could be good or bad that's not the way god operates that's the way we we operate that's not the way god operates god operates in saying there is a way that leads to life there is a way that leads to death and the problem is Few people find the way to life. But if you will follow what I'm telling you, I am telling you this so you can navigate these treacherous ways in which you can take that small, narrow path to life while everyone else is taking the broad, easy path to death. To which, if you'll remember our study on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working in you, whether you know Christ or not. If you don't, to lead you to knowing Christ. If, if you do know Him, then He's leading you to grow, to be sanctified, to work in the world in order to fulfill God's calling on your life and His ministry. He's leading you to understand God's Word. He's intervening for you whenever you need prayer. He's doing all kinds of work within you. But until you know Him, He's drawing you to know Christ. And for me at that time in high school, it was a time where I just, I was not at peace. And yet, it was such a small thing just to go fess up to my parents, but the overwhelming sense of peace in that moment was something I've never forgotten. 
Because holiness brings you peace. Because it aligns you with life as God has designed us. So when we begin to look at holiness, it's not just about following the rules. It's about so much more than that. Hebrews 1.9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Hebrews 12.14 says, Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for that peace and holiness so that you can see the Lord. Now, how do we do this as parents? I'd like to give you three steps and you're done. It's not, it's not that way. I'd like to put out some books out here, family devotions, take those home, read them with your kids, and you're guaranteed fast track to life. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And here's the thing that is so hard, and this is the thing that is very much more difficult today than it was when I was a kid, that many of you were kids, and that is the fact that our words carry very little meaning as our kids get older. Our kids don't need to hear us talking about this stuff. I mean, we need to be talking about it, but they need something more. Your children need to see you living a radical life of knowing God. So we got three callings, right? Keep them alive. So far, I'd say most of us in the room have done pretty well with that, okay? Maybe they're barely alive at times, but they're alive. Number two, kind of get along with others, you know? That's a lifelong process of learning. Number three, following God and living fully in His love. Well, they need to see that in you. Now, as our kids are young, the reality is that... You know, we can talk about this stuff, and they will go, okay. We can say our faith is important to us, and they'll say, okay, and they'll believe it, and they'll even mimic it. But there's a point that your kids get to, to an age that your words begin to have diminishing value. And instead, your actions begin to speak louder than those words. And how we demonstrate in our own lives that we are walking fully with Christ is very much what they will accept or reject within their own lives. So many times what ends up happening is we're trying to do so many things right that this is one of them. This is one of them. We're trying to do this one right too, but we're trying to do so many other things right too that we just have a tendency to miss on that. We get busy and things get stressful and we just got to make things happen. But it's what you're doing right now to show them with your actions that you are radically following Christ. That is what they will carry with them when you are gone. Not what you said about Christ, but what they watched in your life. One of the things I want to caution you with and thought about whether should I share this or not, but I'm going to. You just have to be cautious in the world that is telling you how you're supposed to be a good parent. And many times that word is, you know, God is really okay with you focusing on other things. They really need to be more socialized with kids that don't know Christ, and you need to worry about them really walking with Christ. That's what the world will say. They won't say it that way, but 
Genesis 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Which, by the way, there's not another church in America who's one of their primary texts for the sermon on Mother's Day is the fall and the woman eating the fruit. You are welcome. I just didn't want that to be lost on you, that that is what's happening right now as I start reading this, okay? That is what's happening. It is planned. It's intentional. Stick with me. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now the crucial phrase that you hear all the time, just as Eve did in the garden, is this. Did God actually say that? Right? Did God actually say that you probably shouldn't be watching that show? Did God actually say that you needed to attend church? Did God actually say that you really needed to read your Bible? Isn't that legalistic and he's all about grace? So you can just ignore that. Did God actually say that you need to spend time around spiritual discussions in your family and not just, you know, on the few times of the year that that's easy and comfortable? Did God say that and you know we could just fill the blank in with so many things did god that's what satan is still saying in our ears did god actually say that you should take a sabbath did god actually say that the truth is is we don't always hear it in those words What we hear it in is in the judgment of our friends, our friends who are also parents who seem to just be better parents than us, at least according to them, right? You know, they always, they steal the picture off of Pinterest of the apple pie and they just baked it, right? But you're like, I see the Pinterest logo on it. You did not bake that apple pie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just got picked up on Pinterest somewhere, you know? It's like my kids, All their clothes, it's on Etsy because, you know, I just, I make those at home. We actually raise our own sheep and shear them, all natural, all natural. And then I I weave that into thread and then then I make their clothes. And then Etsy called me up and just said that it was the best they'd ever seen, you know. That's what that we post. They don't post that you locked your kid in their room for three hours because they wouldn't stop screaming. And then you went to the store because you didn't want to listen to him. I mean, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) But you've thought about it, and some of you may have actually done it. And so we don't necessarily hear it in the words of, did God actually say? We hear it in the words of, you really shouldn't worry about that. That's really not the most important thing. These other things are just as good as important. 
you really don't need to spend time focused on Christ or on spending time with Him. These are one of the things that we struggle with. But when God calls you to follow Him in holiness and intimacy and walking with Him faithfully and sacrificially and giving regularly of yourself, people are not going to agree with you. People are not going to pat you on the back and say, good job. They're going to probably laugh at you and they're going to tell you you're doing it all wrong. If you keep your kids from watching certain shows because they are terrible shows and they're rated for like even bad for adults, but you're like all their friends are watching it, they are laughing at us because I won't let my kids watch it. That's, that's the enemy saying, did God actually say you shouldn't do that? Now, this is one of the, these are the mind pits that you and I didn't think about when we got excited and brought our little bundles of joy home. It was not on our radar when we were thinking about all our hopes and dreams for our children and excited things we were going to do. But this is what it looks like to follow Christ, whether you're a parent or not. This is how we live following Him. As we look at this generation, this generation is changing. These kids that are up here, this is a big deal that, that you guys are here and that they are seeking out faith, and they're watching you and I as adults, do they really mean what they say? And not just me. I mean, everybody thinks the pastor, everybody's looking at the pastor, but they're looking at you too. And they're asking, do we collectively really believe this stuff? And it's not our words that demonstrate whether we do or not. It's our actions. It's how we live our lives day to day that demonstrates whether we really believe this stuff. Increasingly, the world doesn't care about God at all. They're not rejecting God. They just don't care anything about Him. And one of the reasons is because God's people live lives professing with our mouth, but living separate lives in every other way. Because we, by doing that, demonstrate we don't really care either. Now, my goal is not to heap coals on us because I can heap coals on myself all day long. But are you the same person here that you are at work and at home? Are you the same person whenever you're in your car and someone cuts in front of you that you are when you're up here praying? Or the line is taking forever that you're trying to get through. Are you the same person? Unfortunately, I'm not always the same person. There's a little voice inside of me that reminds me of that in the moment. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you need an attitude adjustment. Let me leave you with this. Uh, one thing I did want to say before I leave you here is one thing you also need to do as parents, and I try to, I try to model this to some degree up here without completely ruining your impression of me, but if you hide your brokenness from your children, you are not teaching your children how to deal with their brokenness. And some of us came up in a time when parents, that was their goal number one. To act like they were not broken in any ways. And their kids to this day still can't figure out how to deal with their own brokenness. One of the things you have to show that it, with your children is how do you deal with your faults? 
which means we have to admit our faults, which means we have to be willing to take responsibility of the consequences of our faults, and we have to strive to overcome them, and they need to see that in us. Now, I don't have to say, you know, you, you need to really think about your brokenness. I don't have to tell you that. You already know what it is. Maybe nobody else does, but you know. Maybe you need to be more open and outright in them seeing you dealing with it. Let me leave this with some encouragement for you. You don't have to be a perfect parent, but you do need to point them to your perfect Heavenly Father. You don't have to be the perfect single. You don't have to be the perfect kid. You don't have to be the perfect senior adult. But you've got to be pointing and reaching consistently for that one who is You know, sanctification is a big word that basically means you're on a journey, which is why we named our church this, that you are on a journey no matter where you are. You don't have to stop. You can keep moving. Sanctification is a process of growing, maturing, getting better at this stuff. You don't have to provide a picture-perfect childhood. You don't have to give your kids what all their other kids have. I know your kids are telling you what all their other kids have. You don't have to give them all those things. You don't have to live in luxury to prove you are a good parent because most people in the world can't do that. You don't have to know the latest urban language, which Deidre and I are thankful for that. You don't even have to tell good jokes. I'll leave it at that. You don't have to avoid all your mistakes because some of the best lessons in life are showing how you deal with your mistakes, not avoiding them. And you don't have to be perfect. But you do need to know God. For those in the room, I know there are some that are just thinking, gosh, this is such a hard day if, if you've lost a child. And, and some in this room have lost a child. If you've lost a child or if you've hoped for children and that hasn't happened for you, I know those, this is a hard day for some. And I just want to tell you, I had an experience yesterday that this for you. I was in Starbucks. We were down in Atlanta. My brother-in-law was getting, he was graduating with his doctorate. Just we wanted to go down and celebrate with him. And so I kind of snuck out early in the morning and and was just working on some, what I'm sharing with you today, putting it on paper. And and, uh, this lady, this this girl walked in. She's maybe, I don't know, she maybe, I guess she was at least 16 because she had driven herself to Starbucks, but she was young. She was young. And she came in, and it was, you know, 7 o'clock Saturday morning. I, Why are you doing here? I mean, I thought 16-year-olds slept till noon on Saturday. But she was there. She sat. And a few minutes later, an older lady walked in, clearly not her mother, because they were completely different ethnicities. And they were literally right beside me. And so I just couldn't help but pay attention. Clearly, this was a mentor-mentee relationship. She had come in, and they started talking, and they were talking about the text, and I was really not just trying to eavesdrop. I couldn't help it, and I was a little bit curious. <laughs> so they were just talking about in their texts and what they had shared with each other through the week, and I know you asked me about this, and I don't really feel like I got to, to sh- and I honestly, I, I don't even know what they were talking about. I don't know if this was a spiritual conversation. I don't know if this was a math tutor. I don't know what this was. But this lady brought in things with her, and they were just sitting down, just talking, and they clearly had been doing life together for a while. And i got to tell you something. That is the picture of the church. 
Because if my kids get everything about following Jesus from mom and dad, they are in trouble. And they need you in their lives. These youth that are sitting here on the front row and scattered throughout, they need you in their lives, investing in them. I don't know what this lady, I don't know what else she needed to do at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, but she was there investing. So parenting is not just for those with biological ties. Scripture talks about our old men and women mentoring our young men and women. Now, when I was young, and most of probably our teenagers in the room will reach a point, if they're not there yet, that they realize, I probably know more than mom and dad do. And in some things, they do. And then it'll be another 20 years or so, and they'll go, ooh, I don't think I knew as much as I once did. But we'll have to wait for that, you know. We'll have to wait for that payback later. But in this time, this is an opportunity for us as people in this room to and find someone to invest in we were going to have to sacrificially give of ourselves and to say you are important to me and i will sacrifice this time for you because there is only one thing in this life that matters most and that is that we know god well that's the one thing in this life that matters most you may not have the job that gives you the, the lifestyle that you had hoped but if you know god well you are a success in life you not may not be the person that everybody goes man that guy or that girl has it together you may not be that person but you know what if you don't know god well then you are a success in life and for those of you in the room and i am I'm one of you that makes a mistake and then you think about your mistake over and over and over again I want to let you know, you got to let that stuff go. Because there's a lot more life for you to live out there than you're living in your past mistakes. And it's time to start striving for that thing that is the most important thing, that we live fully within God's love. If we're going to win at one level of parenting, let us show them how to love God well. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the children that are in this room. I thank you for those that are here that are investing in them regularly, our youth workers, our children's volunteers, even our moms on this day, that they look forward to to resting and celebrating or serving um, right now with children that are not their own. I thank you for those that are constantly taking time to care for those that are not their own children, and they have chosen to invest in those that need them. God, I pray that you would teach us to love well, to love each other, to love our kids, but more importantly, to love you well, because when we do that, all the rest will be taken care of. God, I thank you for the incredible things you're doing in families here. I thank you for the incredible things that are happening in our schools because of the faith of these students that are in this room. And Lord, I pray that in all of the times that we are tempted to focus on our failures, we will adjust our gaze to be focused on you, that you are drawing us somewhere, you are taking us on the path of life. God, we just thank you for your love. Help us to love well, even when it's messy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.